Hey human, play some music. Welcome to Revision. My name is Tree, and I'm here with my co-host Grayson, who is feeling a little under the weather. I am feeling under the weather, but I have an amazing radio voice right now. So you'll have to you'll have to deal with uh, an occasional sneeze. There may be coughing. Yeah. Um, I can count on at least two or three sniffles. So if you're listening to with a with a headphone on, this is going to be awful. We're going to try to edit out the coughing for <laughs> cat sounds for meow, right? Right, right. We'll yeah. just. Yeah, I'm meow every time I make some weird sound. I'm really excited about camping. I'm going camping. I just planned my first camping trip for the season. Oh yeah, that's right. You're telling me. So this is this is the part of the show where we talk about our our discoveries in the future, like the things that we're excited about with future. Because with all our guests, we always talk about, you know, what is the thing that you're excited about? Well, mm-hmm. since we do this every week, we have what we're excited about this week in the future. So this week in the future. You're excited about camping? Well, in, it's in not future? really about camping. Camping was like the, the anecdote to the cool thing. Yeah. So um, I'm going camping um, the 4th of July weekend, and I'm looking for a tent, like a light tent, because we have to paddle out to the campsite on, okay. a, on like a canoe, right? So um, the tent that I have right now is about six or seven pounds, and you would think that wouldn't be too much. No, but, but if you're, yeah, yeah. But if you're going on a boat and you're carrying all your supplies for the weekend, you know, you probably want to go lighter, so... My friend was telling me about a one-pound tent that he had. So I'm, like, on this, like, research process of looking into all these types of tents and, like, price ranges and types of material. And now they're even using space materials in tents, which is, like, really cool. Space materials? Responsive fabric. I know, space materials. That's what the article said, dude. But it was, like, basically (laughs) responsive responsive fabric. So one side is... um, a soft fabric and on the inside it's coated with some kind of polyurethane okay so if it rains it becomes uh repellent to water but if it's not raining it's still breathable and i thought that that was like really cool that is pretty amazing actually yeah you know it's it's funny because you always hear the things like this material was used on the space shuttle can you imagine like all the materials and stuff that they're using now with uh, with musk and Bezos and all these yeah. people are now throwing everything that they can up into the space, like all the new materials that are going to come from that. It's true, and that's that's particularly what I'm excited about, just lighter camping materials and that's lighter actually... camping shoes and lighter camping blah, blah, blahs, you know? Well, I have a much darker subject I want to talk about. Oh. And it could be because I'm sick. Uh, but basically, I want to talk about death. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about death because I think death is one of these things that that we're all going to have to deal with. Death. Right? We're all going to have to deal with it in one way or the other. And honestly, for myself, the idea that when I die and I'm no longer in this shell, that my family members would would, would buy a brightly colored box hmm. and put the shell and then put that into the ground or burn it and then live in, the, in, in some sort of metal canister... All everything that we do for death makes no sense to me at all. Right. I'm not here. I don't care what you do with this. I barely care what happens to my body when I'm yeah. in it. Put right? me in a disco ball, you know. Yeah, like, whatever. Like I don't care. Like that would be great in a disco ball <laughs> and be in like Studio 54 for the rest of my. Yeah. That seems like a good idea. Dance the night away. Yeah. yeah so my thing that I, I I saw that I'm really into is this thing called Capsula Mundi. I think that's how you pronounce it. If not, we'll blame it on the cold. And what it is, is that they take your body and they wrap it in an egg, <laughs> like a giant egg, and they put you in with a tree. And basically the tree, you become the tree. Mm-hmm. You become, and the tree uses your nutrients, and basically you then live and you, you go on through life as a tree. Right? I want to say when you started talking about the egg, I had no idea where you were going with that. But I'm glad that it ended where it did. You know, nature, trees. Given well, the name, I always advocate for trees. Yeah, you know? yeah it's a good point. But, but, but isn't that like, I, I see a positive and a negative. The negative is, what do we do when trees start getting the taste for human flesh? Ooh. We won't worry about that. No one was thinking about that. Absolutely no one. This <laughs> like, is the cold Like if, if, if trees are literally living off of human beings, like yeah. what is the largest organism... On the planet Earth, do you know? No. Uh, uh, aspen trees. Okay. Aspen trees are connected 
uh, underground. And so you have some of these aspen trees uh, that spread over multiple states, one grove, right? So if they're all living off of human flesh, that's a problem for us. So uh, that's the my sarcastic way of looking at it. But I think it, it just seems like a better way of going about it. Completely biodegradable. You're, you're adding something. Yeah. And, you know, that way you're not having this, this financial burden of that we do with death makes no sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So this... And I'm sure they're figuring out a and way to do it. It's dragged on, you know. So this is like a fun way to think about it. And you could go see the tree and like, you know. Right. You could go. Yeah, it's yeah, nice. Yeah. Like that That tree is your grandpa. Yeah. Eventually. It's grandpa tree over there. Oh, <laughs> Grandpa <no>. tree. <laughs> Gotta change my name. <laughs> okay. But that that was this week in like that. uh, That's cool. our future thoughts. Space materials for camping mm-hmm. and then trees. So we were very nature oriented this yeah. week. Definitely. Like we we want to be outdoors, you know. I know. Yeah. See, I so I grew up in Colorado. Mm-hmm. I did so much camping. I just want to be in the city. I mm-hmm. just I can't I can't do it anymore. I can't do it's the fair. nature and yeah. I can't do I've done that. I've lived there. I've herded cattle. Wow. I've been on horseback more than I want to admit. Can't do it anymore. Are we playing two truths and a lie or is that something that you're actually This is all one hundred percent true. All right. One hundred percent true. So Grace and the cattle boy. Yeah. The cattler. Is that what you call them? So I'm done. I'm I'm I like I get off the subway, and walk through the city. I'm like, oh, this is the best. I love the city. Yeah. So, okay, I'm probably gonna cut all of that out. You never. No know. worries. So today we have an amazing guest. We are so excited. Weren't you excited about this when I started talking about this? I didn't even know anything about, but just the bio, and I was like super excited. Yeah, we got yeah. super excited about this one. Um, wh- who we have with us is uh, Trisha Rossi. Hi, Trisha. Hi. So, uh, Trisha is a licensed psychotherapist in New York. Um, she has a private practice, and she's an adjunct professor of psychology, which says she's super smart. And so, having a super smart person in the room that I get to ask my, re- like, Tree is incredibly smart, which is why she's on the podcast, because basically... I've, I really buy into the idea of be the dumbest person in the room. <laughs> so this should be a fascinating discussion. What did I do to deserve all these compliments? <laughs> this should be a fascinating discussion that I might not be able to be a part of. I can just sit back and go, that sounds right. <laughs> so, uh, so we're going to talk about the future of psychology. Yeah. The future of psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. The future of like where, where this whole conversation that I was thinking about it today. How... Like, when did Freud really come on the scene? Was that, that was 20s, 10s, 20s, 19... The turn of the century. Yeah, yeah so, maybe, so it was about 100 maybe. years ago. Oh, for sure, yeah. That a lot of, the, and now, look at look at the difference of yeah. where we are. Now we have AIs trying to do psychotherapy. Right. We have psychotherapy via text. We yeah. have um, chemical psychotherapy. Then when we don't want to deal with people, we just throw a bunch of pills at them. All of this stuff is going Young on. Young people, too. What was that? Young people, too. Young mm-hmm. people, too. Yeah. Um, so, uh, um, okay. So, yeah, there's, there's just so much that we want to talk about. So, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here, talk about these <laughs> topics, see where it takes so, us. You guys don't know, but Trisha's wearing a pink wig right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's wearing She's a... not her big wig. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to sell it in, but then you didn't go along with it. <laughs> I wish yeah. I was in a She's wearing wig. a pink wig, and yeah. she has... Just Sparkly glasses. Yeah, it's a mohawk. Yeah, she would. Not, this is not a person that you Punk think rock. would go into psychotherapy unless yeah. you know psychotherapists, yeah. and then you're like, yeah, oh, that they're makes sense. bad shit. Yeah. We all have to be a little off to be able to do this work, right? Right, it's amazing. right, right. I love it. So, um, we have so many questions for you. Let's let's start with a really easy question. Right, this Hit one's me. this one's gonna be super easy. Talk to us about what's going on uh, with the human mind in the modern world. Oh, it's a simple one, right? Simple. Yeah, super simple. Start at the top, yeah. <laughs> Explain all everything to us. You have five minutes. Oh, okay. <laughs> no problem. Um, yeah, I mean, so the modern world, in general, we want to really consider how people think, feel, and behave when we're talking about how the brain works, right? So I always like to say it's like a triangle. Um, it starts somewhere. We either have a thought, and that affects how we feel and how we behave, or we behave in a particular way, and then our brain sort of, sort of adopts that type of thinking and, and we develop a belief system about it and then it makes us react emotionally. So we want to really consider those, um, 
those three things. So in terms of like relating that to modern, the modern world we're living in, you know, how, how do we think, feel, and behave in regards to our modern society, the people that are around us, um, the way that we're brought up, you know, we have to consider nature and nurture. We are biologically a particular way, but then also what's around us affects us. You know, in, in therapy, in my clinical work, I always take into consideration the history of a person, but really having to focus on the here and now. And how do you how do you balance that? You know, it's definitely a balancing act and trying to figure out how much of your history is relevant to what's going on in your life right now. Um, and how do you just not even consider that for a little while and only focus on the here and now, you know, because right. that could be critical, especially if you're dealing with a crisis situation. Mm-hmm. You know, what happened in your past may, may or may not be super relevant to today. So I, I just, I, you're going to have to excuse me. I'm just going to go know to therapy the right question, now. By the way. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to dive straight into therapy and get all the questions about yeah, just, my I'm not here just messed up brain. How important are timelines? Like, I'm terrible with timelines. Mm-hmm. And, there, and there's actually a reason why. Okay. Um, I actually purposely um, try to choose what I carry around with me. There are things in my past I don't, I don't even need to worry about. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I always find interesting about therapy is it starts out with timelines. It's okay. always, and I'm terrible with timelines. So how do you, how do you mean that in, in terms of what you need to accomplish in a day? No, like I mean, like, management? when you start talking to a therapist. Do you start at birth or do you start at, you know, tell yeah, me about yeah, the yeah, last yeah. couple of years of your yeah. life. How you know, important how to... is that timeline? Yeah. When you're starting with any relationship, yeah. you, there's always this moment in the relationship that it's always like, Okay, let's line up the timelines. Yeah. Like 10 years ago, yeah. where were you? Oh, let's t- talk you know? about your past relationships. Let's talk right. about, right, I gotcha. So you're going to love my answer. <laughs> and that's a little sarcastic. It depends. <laughs> okay. So uh, uh, many things in psychology, and especially in clinical work, is it's going to be, it depends. So it's an annoying answer. I say this when I teach, I te- you know, in the classroom. I'm like, oh, you're going to ask me questions. I'm going to say it depends. But I'm going to give you answers. I'm going to explain to you why it depends and what it depends on. That's really important. So it depends, the timeline, what your issue is, what you're coming in. Is it about what we're trying to accomplish? Then what time di- timeline do we need to look at into your, like, how far into your past do we need to see or dive to answer that question? Um, is that mm-hmm. helpful? Yeah, so it, it, depends it depends on the thing. So... What is the thing? And I can sure. tell you how far we should dive back, you know? What, what, what would be your, your question that you'd have for her about yourself? Well, about me? Yeah. Oh, you don't want to get into that. <laughs> oh, we want I had to get a, I had a question. That is why we, we should have, have a podcast. Laid down, though, we have a microphone yeah. in your face because we really want to know this. I mean, a lot of times I find myself knowing the answers to things, but I lack the direction to actually like put it out there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I give people more information then I even know that I have. But yeah. once I say it, I'm yeah. like, wow, I had all the answers all along. Yeah. So I don't know if that's like what that is really. I mean, for me, just hearing that off, you know, if I had to just scrape the surface on it, I'd say it's um, a gender issue, yeah. you know, because women are taught to, you know, give more. First of all, if you just count the amount of words, and there's so much research on that, how many words uh, in comparison to a female and a male, how many they say in a day or in an hour yeah. or in a text message. If you scroll through your texts, it's actually yeah. a fun experiment I do when I'm on the dating apps is I play the opposite role and I'll use less words and I find that the guys actually start talking a little bit more. It's really interesting. Slack, right? Yeah. So when you're saying yeah. like in, in, I'm guessing you're meaning this in the real world at work or whatever, yeah. you know, you're giving more of an explanation than is necessarily needed. It's probably related to gender because we mm. are socialized to be that way. Would be a short answer. Yeah. It's a long answer, but, short but, answer. but we're going to need to exchange treat- numbers. This, yeah. is a, this is a deeper, a deeper. What? Why does Tree swear so much at work? Because the things that come out of her mouth, my God. I mean, I say them to you in confidence. Oh, okay. I don't say them like in meetings all the time. Swearing's a big and, and interesting conversation though, right? So linguistics, how we use mm-hmm. language, what it's trying to convey. Again, coming back to gender. Sometimes we use those kinds of words just because we have a bad mouth, you know, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Sometimes we use it to really... Um, establish dominance or confidence mm. people who there's a lot of research out there on people who curse and whether that means that they are more intelligent which i love reading those articles because yeah. i curse on too mm-hmm. so i'm like oh i'm smart you know um, <laughs> i'm smart because i say filthy things right but you know some of us like, i know for myself per you know personally my i was brought up where my father always said like you know people who curse are not intelligent that they can't find a better way to say it you know, mm-hmm. and I and I just love the research that shows up yeah. that they have. They of course can put it simply, like you said. You had all the answers there all along. You didn't need all of those extra. Wor- I know we're getting into no, the no, cursing no, and good. going back to the question, <laughs> but you know this idea of using more more words or using specific words or right. cursing. You know, really, a lot of times cursing is seen as just being able to drive home a point. You know, yeah. it's. it's 
exclamatory. I, I should I know. clear up that tree actually yeah. does not whisper and say terrible things. <laughs> it's just F-bombs That, that over. was a complete yeah. joke. She, huh? she says terrible things, but without swearing. I just do like the lint licker thing where you're like, you're, you're cursing like the Orbit White commercials, but yeah. it's like very PG. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's also very New York, right? I mean, you can go in other parts of the country where cursing yeah. is maybe less. Yeah, because I think like, like in New York, there's a lot more swearing going on, but it's more like a comma. Yeah. Like, it, like you drop the F-bomb, it. but it's more of a comma. Yeah, you know, it depends. It depends on the person. Like, if a specific person curses, I, I'd like take a step back. Mm-hmm. But if it's someone that I know, it just glazes over. I don't really right. notice. Yeah, if it's driving home a point, or or you know, cursing at someone and just cursing are two totally different things. Also, it's how it's used really yeah. has yeah. to be taken the context. That's of it. true. Well, that's actually an interesting point. How how do you feel about cursing when you mention texting? Right. I find that I I don't like I don't to curse, curse when text, I'm texting. Like ever. Unless it's like, it's like, F, I'm having the worst day ever. Yeah. But I never curse and text, like, That's ever. That's so interesting. Yeah. You also? Yeah. See? Really? Yeah, I, I, huh. I, I no, find I'm that like... there's, there's something in me that stops me. Huh. It's like, capital WTF. Yeah. Like, WTF, I might say, but... Yeah. But, uh, but you know what? I, actually, take that a step further. Who won't you curse in text to? Ooh, Is it mom. more... Prof- you guys, I'm imagining, are texting much more on a professional level than personal. I'm just guessing. Whereas my texting, I don't text with my clients or my students. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's more personal. So I'm texting the way I would talk to my friends, the friend. way I would talk to my family mm-hmm. members. I actually want to relate this to my question. Uh-huh. So um, uh, I had a dream like a long time ago that... When I was talking to Alexa, she like randomly got this dialogue with me and like no one believed me. That's so And then when I woke up, I thought about it. I was like, oh, that's funny, right? So I thought about it. Like if I, if I yelled Alexa, I was like, Alexa, turn on the lights. And she didn't do it. And I'm like, Alexa, turn on the lights. <laughs> like if she could somehow read my tone mm-hmm. and understand that I was frustrated, right? Mm-hmm. And now they came out with this I, thing. AI is trying to yeah, do it. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, mm-hmm. they're, if, like if you cough. Yep. She may offer, um, you know, halls are on sale at Rite Aid or some, something silly like that, right? Um, so just... Is that really what is that really what Alexa does? Does it say that, co- that something's available at Rite Aid or... No, I mean, like, I'm saying that that's where it could go. But I think the, mm. the, the article that I read was kind of saying that um, if you cough, she could ask, oh, are you feeling okay, Grayson? Or right. something like that, right? It wouldn't be like a direct ad placement for Rite Aid. Yeah, I'm thinking like right. in a long-term right. scale, that's, that's probably where it would go. Do you mm-hmm. have premium Alexa or do you have like the freebie Alexa, right. you know? That it's kind of like it's kind of like Hulu, yeah. right? But like, it certainly yeah. has to be going in that direction. I mean, that's the point yeah. of all the AI, right? It's to be able to pick up on things that we're Customized not even aware of, and yep. interactions, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So but, I know that that this is going to be a hot button. So I'm going to ask this question and then just stand back because I, I, we've we've spoken about this. Mm-hmm. What are your feelings yeah. on text and AI therapy? Yeah. It's, it's a loaded question for sure. I have really strong feelings about it. Pros and cons, to be fair, objectively, I'm a big fan of whatever works. And I say that to people in, in therapy all of the time. Whatever it's going to take to get you better, let's do that thing. So the fact that it does offer an outlet for a lot of people who may not otherwise go to therapy or feel comfortable getting in or are in some terrible crisis where they just don't have the time or the money or, you know, or it's two in the morning, you know, and I'm suicidal, you know, things like this. So it offers an outlet um, which is really positive for a lot of people. The problem for me on the con side, and I'm really oversimplifying the conversation, right? But the con side for me is you're losing that uh, interpersonal relationship, right? And having the face-to-face contact, mm-hmm. um, establishing a history with your therapist who knows you well and knows what makes you tick and what motivates you and, and the things in your life that um, are getting in the way of or are playing a role in why you feel, think and behave the way that you do. Why are you suicidal at 10 in the morning, you know? Because now I know what's been going on in your life. I know what's going on with your family relationships or your right. your so spouse. What is the importance of dealing with someone face-to-face, face like the flesh and blood of your therapist? So much. You have the ability to read expressions on someone's face, mm-hmm. micro-expressions, the tone of voice. You know, you lose that when you're texting. You don't know how someone's meaning to say something mm-hmm. you're interpreting and hopefully you're making a good guess especially if you're a trained professional but yeah even still, it could go the wrong way if, you, if there's no face-to-face contact absolutely right mm-hmm. and especially I mean think of and like going back to texting and cursing and or using an exclamation point does that mean someone's really trying to you Get know what are they expressing with that you know so you lose a lot you need sometimes those quiet pauses you need to hear someone's tone of voice you need to know where the sense of humor is because that's right. equally important, you know, and, and the sense of urgency. Being face-to-face is just, it's an, 
incomparable. It's invaluable. And I think there's also something too, the fact that, so Tree and I, let's say you and I get in a fight mm-hmm. or you're having an issue and I'm trying, my thing as for someone who cares about you, I'm going to try to solve your problem. Right. When what I really need to do is just listen. Yeah. And I don't see how an AI would know the difference. They would hear something and then offer, this is how you can solve it's it. It's like solution oriented, right? Right. And, and that's not always... So that's interesting because that's, so you're basically saying the person is seeking treatment from a robot. And I don't know how often that is where it's automated responses. I, it's my understanding that a lot of these services are a human being behind the screen, but that's literally what it is. It's human behind the no, screen. No, they have one that's like a health one. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget. I think it's called the K or something, K plus or something. Okay, yeah. then I have to look at, can we cut this? Because like, I don't want to say. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. No, yeah. I'll have to look into no, that. No, no, no. Because I'm not familiar with that specific one. A lot of, a lot of the actual therapy ones yep. are... And they source no, actually, you first. They the, like listen to what you're typing first. Yeah. And then they categorize you and then they put you. It's kind of like when you go for like a self-help. If I'm on, you know, some website, can we help you now? And you put it in and then it goes through a directory. Right. Is essentially what you're saying. All right. it is. Yeah. And, and it's it's actually not bad that you that you don't know this because I don't think most people really understand yeah. what AI is and what machine learning is. Machine learning is um, something that when you hear the word Apple, the machine will go, Red, fruit, fruit, mm-hmm. and it categorizes. Yeah, and it can categorize and and go to those categorizations based upon what somebody has said is is the keyword for mm-hmm. it. Literally, a keyword just like you'd see on Instagram. But then imagine having a hundred thousand, a million, an endless amount of keywords that can be accessed quickly. Mm-hmm. So what they're trying to do with Alexa and some of these other things is. When they hear certain keywords in combination, mm-hmm. that they go to this response. Yeah. But that's all it is. Yeah. It's just a response. Yeah. And so the the subtleties of the hu- of human communication mm-hmm. have to be lost. Of course. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, that's what I, I'm reading a lot of research that's being done with depression specifically and, and suicidal intention, intent, you know. Um, and how they're writing. So if, however, and I'm so unfamiliar with how it's connected to the AI program, but, mm-hmm. you know, looking at people's text messages to whomever they're written to and what they're saying, and you're going to see that it's a specific type of language that they're using that can identify that this person may or may not be suicidal or depressed, mm-hmm. which is very interesting and could be very helpful. But right, like you're saying, if, okay, so we pick up on that and they're just like, well, maybe go call this number, you know, the suicide hotline and go to this therapist, this is local in your area or... There's some agency, you know, in terms of what they're going to be able to do or talk you through it, um, there is going to be a lot that's lost there, yeah. you know, for and a few it, reasons. And when you're dealing with subtleties like depression, mm-hmm. what's lost is the meat. Some of- people just need validation. Some people just need to be heard. Sometimes it's not about solving a problem. A lot of my work is not about solving problems, although I love to solve the problems. <laughs> um, I love to identify that there are problems, mm-hmm. but a lot there, of times... There was a, there was a, did you see the glee in her <laughs> yes, eyes when she's like, I love yeah, solving problems? Yeah, good. <laughs> We're going to animate that. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I think there's a big a big piece, it's not even that I think, it's I know for sure. And this is what research will show you. It's, it's about your relationship with your therapist. It's about... Um, the trust, feeling comfortable, mm. and being heard. Most people just want to be heard. They just don't have an appropriate outlet, or it's biased. You know, your friend, you go to your friends, and it's they're going to tell you what you want to hear. Or they're going to tell you what they think you need to hear. You know, yeah. and a lot of times, I'll just say to somebody, "That sucks. Like, that's yeah. not fair. I'm really sorry that that happened I mean, to you." With all the outlets that people have now, mm-hmm. and everyone kind of, even the people who didn't want to be heard, they want to be heard. They yeah. want to be acknowledged. They want to be liked. You yeah. know what I mean? Everyone wants a voice. How do we? How, how are these? channels and these devices changing our relationships incredibly right so one thing i've noticed over the last i've been i've been practicing for over 10 years in private practice i've done some form of counseling for the last 20 years but so what i've noticed i've literally needed to change the language that i'm using when i'm working with people all ages by the way not just children not just the teenagers um but they'll say oh i was talking to my friend oh i was talking to my boyfriend my mom whatever it is and i'm like oh okay and then they're telling me a whole story what i realized over time was i'm like wait a second the more they went on with their story i'm like were you talking with this person or were you texting oh. or were you snap 
chatting, you know, snapping yeah. or insta yeah. you know, what, what all the yeah. terms are. But I've learned that I've actually needed to change how I'm asking questions to get the information that I need because it actually does change how I'm going to give you an answer or how yeah. I'm going to understand um, your perception of a situation. And I've had to teach people, many, many people over the years, why that's important. And I can't change culture. I've brought this topic up a lot. I, I speak on it a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, at conferences and, you know, with other professionals and, of course, in my practice. But it's so important, the language that we use to explain um, how we're communicating with one another. So that's just one one way that it's changed how we communicate. You know, the in its instant, it's we're looking for this, I write you, you write me back. You know, this immediacy. I get upset, yeah. I find myself, if I ask a question to someone and they don't text yeah. me back in a timely manner. Yeah, it's anxiety like, then why do you have a phone? Like, Ooh, you get angry. Yeah, right, so it's yeah. like anger-inducing and anxiety-provoking, yeah. right? So the this person hate me. Why didn't they, right, they don't like me. Um, they think that, and our mind goes wild, right? It's it's this, I can see this trend of instant gratification, like, mm-hmm. growing over time. Yep. That eventually, like, when the AIs do become a part of the conversation, we're just going to be, like, super angry because it's not a person, yeah. right? We're just going to be like... We want our answers and we want them now. Yeah. How, how does that change how we, like, communicate with people on, like, a, like a local level? Um, one strategy, can I offer, like, a strategy yeah. that I offer to people is I, I break it down. And this is something I talk about a lot also. Um, is we have to break it down into what we think, what we feel, what we want, and what we need. And when we can do that, we establish really clear communication with somebody when we don't, we're assuming that person knows what we want and what we need or what we're thinking or how we're feeling. Mm. And this is a lot you were asking earlier, like what's lost when we're texting? That's what's lost when you don't have that face-to-face and when you're not um, you're not practicing effective communication. Right. You know, it, it, it really ruins relationships. You're like it, skipping this big step. Yeah. Whereas... Yeah. But we're not trained to do that, I no. think. And this is something I've been really pushing for. I've been trying to create a program, you know, at the elementary, middle school level, even high school level, but really teaching social, emotional, um, and communication behaviors. You know, how do we... How are we more, how can we be more effective? Because we used to naturally have this when we were younger before all the text started. You'd be outside. You'd be building a, a treehouse in the backyard with your friends. You'd be riding right. your bikes. You'd have to communicate. You know, and people would see your face. You know, when you're behind the screen, people don't see the facial expression. So you're losing that. At least your friend, you know, you could be riding ahead of them on your bicycle and they look back and you look pissed off and like, oh, what's the matter? That would naturally happen. Now you don't know that your friend is sitting behind their their phone being upset. When did you get your first phone, Trey? My first phone. So that's a funny story. Um, I got my first phone in high school and it wasn't even my phone. My brother went to the same school as me and I had it for periods like one through four and I had to pass it to him between fourth and fifth. Or I would get in trouble. Right. So my brother and I shared a phone. And how did, did you feel like right now? If I stole your phone, yeah. there would be separation anxiety. Oh, totally. Yeah. Did you feel it immediately, even back then? No, it was more like a tool to me. Like I mean, it is a tool now, but it's it's an extension of my personality. Why now. did your parents give you the phone? Um, just was to be in touch with them. Communication. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Strictly communication, right? Yeah. They didn't even care about the text. Right. It was part. a safety issue. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I could care less about phones for growing up. Um, and then the first iPhone came out. So I was there in San Francisco at the conference when they released the iPhone. I was so excited. And then you had to wait six months for the first iPhone to even come out, which was like, ooh, I really want this. And I remember that I went somewhere with the iPhone. And this was long before anybody even had it. I was lucky enough. And that was the first time that I found myself holding the phone just looking at and you couldn't even get apps for it it was like a single screen of like a calculator and you know just the basic stuff and i found myself just holding it Mm -hmm. and constantly checking it even though i knew nothing was coming on the phone and there was it was a really interesting moment where i was like why am i constantly looking at this phone and now I want to murder people on the street because they won't get off their phones. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I was trying to walk into a restaurant to get lunch today. There was a guy standing on his phone, staring at his phone in the entrance of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. No one could get out. No one could get in. Yeah, that's and, irresponsible. Yeah. And and um, we were talking uh, about. There's a famous saying how the sidewalks of New York is like a, a like a ballet. Everybody has their thing that's complicated and everybody's mm-hmm. moving. And now it's just a bunch of people on their phone reacting at the last minute, not slamming into each other. So, yeah. I mean, how, how, did we, how did this tool become from, like, Tree being in high school, just going, eh, yeah, 
to now the point that that we literally get separation anxiety and now I have a miniature phone on my wrist and I have an iPad and I have my laptop and I'm getting the same messages in. Yeah. How did how did we get here and why are why are we portraying such addiction cycles to these devices? It, that's a loaded question, right? So first is the value of the product, right? They've told us we've needed it. Right. Also, it's an expensive product. And mm-hmm. so when we spend a lot of money on something, we do value that, hopefully, right? We want to get our money's worth. You of know? course, mm-hmm. right. So I think, um, and this is not a blanket. I'm no, no way the and I'll be all and sure. expert on this, but I would imagine value. Mm-hmm. What the companies are telling us we need is the same thing. It's like, why do you need this? these cool new sneakers? Why do you need this shirt? You know, why do you need whatever the product is? They're telling you why you need it. So you need this phone in your hand all the time. One communication. They've sold us on communication, on safety. You can get in touch with your children anytime. You need this now. We didn't need that growing up. Well, it didn't exist, but... Those fears weren't really right. evident, right? Yeah. But so, isn't, it, isn't it... I mean, like, I'm into cameras and so i'll walk by you know there's so many films being shot in new york and i'll walk by and i'll look at their cameras and go interesting i won't run into a wall Mm -hmm. staring at their camera where you have hundreds of people daily yeah staring at like like for instance at uh when we get in the elevator at work yeah and we're around a bunch of engineers i see them holding their phone and staring into that phone and they are doing nothing on it it is a safety blanket yeah so I'm I'm just curious is it, from from a psychological standpoint, why are we looking to this device as as such a safety blanket? Why does that become our way out of not being a part of a group? Anxiety is a normal mm. and ingrained part of who we are. We have to have a little bit of anxiety. Anxiety is useful in small amounts because it's motivating and it helps us accomplish things, right? When it um, grows to be too large, it impedes on our functioning. There's a part of, we're social beings by nature also. So we, we, we have this device that allows us to be a different version of social, hmm. which for some people is very comforting. Um, we see higher rates of social anxiety now in society than ever before. It doesn't mean it didn't exist, but we certainly are seeing it more for many reasons. And I think there's um, a strong correlation with technology, all sorts of technology, not just the phones, and mm-hmm. um, a lack of in-person interaction because we have all of these other ways of interacting with people. So, And then the addiction piece of it also um, is major because our brains are actually changing. There's a lot of research on this that will show you um, how the the neural pathways in the brain are different when you are using technology in excessive amounts. And excessive is, of course, a subjective term. Like you'd have to look up how you know how many hours a day, how many minutes the hour are you on the phone and looking at the phone. Sure. But your brain is actually changing, and what ends up happening is you the reward center in your brain is activated because it feels good. You're it's almost like creating a laziness to not have to work as hard for things like memory, like rote memorization. When you would write down the notes in class, and you know that would increase long term memory of that information you know now we just can google something so we don't value it kind of comes back to value again right um how much do we value having to really remember things write things down uh, you know we we can look anything up now so there's a piece of that also that again feeds the addiction right it's so easy because oh reinforces what i was looking for before reinforces (laughs) so it you know to have that reinforcement like well i don't really need to know where this um location is or the directions to this place or my friend's phone number oh my god i'm so bad at that i get criticized all the time because people ask me like what are you doing this weekend i don't even think about it yeah until i need to look at the phone yeah like i can't i can't tell you my meetings i have tomorrow no i won't even look at it until tomorrow why would you need to that you have your phone right right but so what it that's a for me as a clinician, that's a problem. Yeah. Right? Why don't you know what tomorrow looks like? And listen, is it important? Is it not important? Is it impeding your function? Functioning? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. You know, I don't get to decide if it's a problem for you. I yeah. identify it as an issue. Um, but I almost feel like there's, like, two types of users of phones, right? There's, like, the ideal consumer, right, who mm-hmm. completely and utterly relies on their phone, doesn't remember things, doesn't know anyone's phone number, doesn't, like talk to anyone anymore right yeah. and there's a there's the other user that readily gets that simulation offline as much as they do get it online yeah and i have to say that i do try to keep my emotional intelligence up offline as much as i do online mm-hmm. i actually i don't i hope my best friend doesn't listen to this episode but 
I, I actually felt my relationship <laughs> with my best friend suffering so much. I moved from Queens to Brooklyn mm-hmm. and not being able to just run over to her house and see her. Like our relationship had so much strain because I was just texting her. Yep. And I, I didn't know how to like bring it back in. And then eventually it hit me one day that like she doesn't need that attention through text. She needs it like face to face. So I had to like carve that time out and really like read her. If I just asked her a question on text, it wasn't enough for me to do that. You know what I mean? And I had to respect that and understand that that was a need that she wanted. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that everyone goes that extra mile. Not that everyone needs that, but it's important to like separate the online needs from the offline needs. I feel like there's levels to how people use technology Mm -hmm. that's both crippling and enabling in in, in different ways. So sometimes if someone messages me on, let's say Instagram, and they're asking me like an important question, I'm like, why are you asking me this on Instagram? Just like text me or call me, right? So I almost feel like there's like an appropriateness that I would like people to get back to. Like don't message me on LinkedIn if Mm -hmm. you want to hang out or get drinks. You know what I mean? Like put that somewhere else put that on facebook yeah i feel like the channels of communication the channels of communication are clashing now for me yeah because sometimes people tell me things and i can't remember in what channel they told me sure so i'm I'm there flipping through text i'm there Mm -hmm. going on instagram i'm i'm there like kind of like i don't i don't know where to look Mm -hmm. you know so i almost feel like if we had like an etiquette in place where we set limits for ourselves but like also not like you know, yeah. make people feel like you're crazy. It's a, it's a great conversation to have though, right? So part of it is certainly etiquette. Another part is expectation. Another part is looking at the other person, their comfort level. You know, for them, it just might be out of convenience. They just happen to have LinkedIn open. They know they're going to be able to connect to you. They send you a quick message. They're using it as the same as text message. The same I find as, it as laziness. Oh, I have You're no, messaging yeah. me on LinkedIn about something that's not work-related. Yeah. Don't. But that's your interpretation right. of LinkedIn, right? So same idea as like going to the dating apps and how people use them. People are using them for all sorts mm-hmm. of reasons and, and the way that they're communicating communicating and talking with people on them is is different so it's exactly what you're saying you know write me on email send me a text message what linkedin is for what facebook is for what instagram is for you have defined but you've defined those are your definitions and that's a very subjective experience with all of these online apps is i might have a completely different um definition of you know for me i'm sitting here saying i'm just i'm not even taking a stance on it but Eh, it's a way to get in touch with you, right. right? And a lot of people may feel that way. Other people, you're having a more professional stance, like each has its own right. purpose. So for some people, I work with a lot of people with social anxiety, and it's very difficult for them to pick up the phone and call you and ask you, hey, do you want to hang out this weekend? So they yeah. do whatever means possible. Hey, let's get together. Hey, do you want to have a meeting on Thursday? Or let's, you know, whatever, you know, whatever's going on in your world professionally. Um, considering the other person, it's hard. A lot of people I find don't consider the person that they are communicating to, mm-hmm. what their expectation is. And that's something we, we need to talk about. That is so fascinating because if you think about the rules of society, right? So let's go back to, I don't know, um, 1800s. There was, when you showed up at a dinner party, mm-hmm. you reacted, you acted a certain way, right. right? You had to pick the right silverware, you had to do this stuff, and mm-hmm. there were rules. Yep. And then when you're home, there are certain rules. I guess that's the thing. I see these social media worlds as realms. And like when I'm in a certain realm, I act a certain way. Sure. But I can almost remember when I crossed over, when Mm -hmm. I finally broke my own etiquette rule. Right. So I had been emailing, um, I guess, some sort of company about an issue I was having. And um, they just wouldn't get back to me. And it was so frustrating. And then I went on Instagram and I sort of like messaged someone on Instagram publicly Mm -hmm. and then that company reached out to me and was like hey Tree we're sorry this is happening why don't you come into the store and try on some clothes like and do your thing right and I was like whoa (laughs) wow so so I put you on blast yeah yeah we have what the difference between what's uh, expected and what's acceptable and what is acceptable has changed phenomenally over the last few years and decades it's so varied I mean that's oh for sure Collectively, as a society, we had an understanding of what a dinner party was. Yeah, absolutely. And yep. how you behave. Right. You had this expectation, right? Um, well, I think that there's so much gray area. I mean, think about just even in the workplace, right? right? It was, you went to work in a suit and tie. It really didn't matter what industry you were in up until recently. And then you have, you know, these... Business casual. Yeah, business casual. You know, yeah. hoodies and, and Converse. Right. You know, which is... has these top billionaires yeah they're setting a standard and this is the expectation this is okay and it's acceptable this is okay so not just this is what we expect of you but we're also saying we're okay with that yeah and that you know doesn't cross over to all realms because there's still a lot of places where you the expectation is formal right right 
that would maybe seemingly be in very informal, you know, it could be the same venue, but a right. different event, you know, you dress differently for a wedding than you would a, a baby shower. Right. You know, so this, this whole idea of like expectations versus acceptability is a conversation I have very often with my clients, you know, and, and that's where a lot of people go wrong. And, right. you know, if your expectations aren't met, you, like you're saying, like with people writing to you, you have this expectation of what this venue is for what my Facebook is for, what my Instagram is for. Right. Um, but other people don't know your rules. They don't know your expectations. And so they're constantly breaking them. And then you react, right? So we can go back to how we think, feel, and behave. Now you're like, that person's such an idiot. Why would they write me here? Or they're really intruding um, on my boundary. Like they're, right. you know, in, in my personal space right now. Meanwhile, it's just another app, right. if you put it simply. And I'm, I, I agree with you, actually. I think there should be an etiquette. There should be some assumed rules. I was having a conversation with one of my uh, college student clients the other day. It was really, she's adorable. But, you know, we're talking about Instagram and she was telling me how like people who post more than once a day, it's like, chill out, you know, like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, and people will actually text another person if they see they've posted twice or more than twice a day. I'm like, what are you doing? Chill out over really? there. And I'm like, wow, there's this like, subculture, like, this unspoken rule but what you can and can't do. And it's right. exactly what you're saying. You right. don't write me personal things on LinkedIn. That's supposed to be for prof- professional. And I think that's generally the expectation. Right. Don't but, comment in my thing and say something like like revealing. You right, know? right, right. But if they had written you a private message on LinkedIn, right. would you have been as upset? Probably not. Still probably right. the idea in your mind, why would you ask me to hang out on LinkedIn yeah. DM or whatever it is, you know? Right. I, I agree, but I, I almost want to check myself and think, do I agree with that? Because that's what I know. You know, I, I understand that. Yeah. Um, there's still lots of things. Like if, let's take this forward 20 years. I think, I think one of the things that's going to be happening uh, in 20 years is the full adoption of augmented reality. I think that's going to be something that's, that we're all going to have. So we wear glasses. We'll be able to see translations of signs and languages that we don't speak through the glasses. Almost all the functions of the phone are now through the glasses, and let's say that, so in a perfect world. So now we have our heads out of our phone. Mm-hmm. We're getting constant constant feedback. So in other words, I meet you in a bar. Yeah. I can pull up your Facebook. I can pull up who you are yeah. very quickly sure. and see who you are in real time. In real time. Yeah. We'll come back to that, though. You will come back to that. I have a lot to, to say that. on that. Uh, um, but the, but the yeah. question that I have is like, can all of this be used to augment relationships? No. Or the, no. <laughs> is, is it something within us that we have to have that biological connection yeah. with, with people in order to survive? Yeah. Because the way that I see our society moving, and I am, I am all for the, the future is going to be an amazing, wonderful place. Mm-hmm. But the way that it goes, you look at your average family – Dad's watching something in one room. Mom's watching something. And everybody has their different things. And if we're going to carry that around with us, that means we're all having these heightened individual experiences and not heightened community experiences. Right. And that's really my problem with people walking around in the city is the city is something that unites us. Mm -hmm. And now you're looking to your phone for an experience that's not in the city it's you're 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 going into it doesn't your, mean anything to anyone else. it doesn't mean anything no. so right. are we isolating ourselves and is that will can all of this have a good outcome or how do we what do we do with it because it's not going to go away well it kind of comes back to having rules right whether they're spoken or unspoken the etiquette of it and so what's the expectation of using this what's wonderful about the technology is because it does connect us. It allows us to communicate when we wouldn't have had the opportunity to, right? So you could be texting your sister, mother, brother, coworker while you're walking down the street, which is a beautiful thing because sometimes things are really important or important, not important. Could just be funny. You're thinking of something you want to share with somebody. So that's a wonderful pro to it for sure. Um, but the, you know, if you think about New York is like the loneliest place, we have the most amount of people and the least amount of connections. And I'm speaking not based on research, of course, but, um, it's Were people walking down the street prior to cell phones talking to one another? No, you, you know what I mean? Like, really. what's the numbers what, on that? Yeah, what's really changed? Right. Yeah. So now it's just there's something they're looking down at and we're bumping into one another. Before, we weren't bumping into each other because we visually saw each other. We were looking up. Right. Right. But were we really having that common experience, like you're saying, that collaborative communication? I don't know that it was happening. Um, 
it's certainly has she, been affected in yeah. a negative way. I think for the, sure. the reliance. You were more likely to talk to people, right? If you really yeah. needed to, like for directions or for like or just time in general. Or you thought someone was good looking. Hey, what's up? Want to go grab coffee? I think that's certainly happened a lot more prior to technology, for sure. You know, I mean, even bag, I would say I feel like I feel like <laughs> yeah. in the age of social media, yeah. confidence in people has definitely rose. Like, oh, I don't really? know. I I don't know. Like that's how I feel. I feel I, that. I would, I would not say like I had to, I saw a guy when I was doing comedy I saw a guy in the bar and this girl was trying to talk to him mm-hmm. and he was literally looking up her seeing if she was on Twitter uh, and I'm like she's standing right, right in front, front of you. you he could not get up the confidence yeah. to, to have the, he needed to he needed to get information right so I I would say maybe confidence isn't the right word so let me let me play it out a little bit. I feel that in the age of social media, we're interacting with people that we never would have otherwise Which interacted with. Which is amazing. Because of like yeah. class, yeah. because of totally. location. Totally. We have access to people we never have right. access to. So it's a wonderful I think that thing. the familiarity, because of social media, mm-hmm. allows us to find people who were previously unrelatable, interesting. Mm-hmm. That's why I feel the confidence levels might have risen. Like I feel like when people look at me, right? They may think something about me, but then when you talk to me and you get to know me, it's like that sort of stigma has been crushed, you know? Mm -hmm. And because of social media and we're able to put ourselves out there in a way that we want to be seen, whether it's curated or real or not, now people can actually look at this person and be like, oh, she's just not, not just a girl from New York. She's not rude. She's actually like an artist. She's like really cool and and like talking about myself. No, it's interesting that you think you see it that way because I wonder how many people share that view I, I, I love that that to, exists to a certain point I do agree because I as well a, it shows your personality yeah. it offers you an opportunity to show more about yourself than you would just right. girl well, on I, the street I'm right. using social media right. to learn more about people yep. I'm, I'm really not I'm, I'm honestly mostly talking to my friends but if there is an opportunity to learn more about someone sure. that I never would have talked to like I become an advocate for that person yep. um, I find a lot of people lack the confidence because now they have something they have to live up to so they've put this They've portrayed themselves a particular way online, and they may not necessarily necessarily be that way all mm-hmm. the time in real life. Right. Still, a fabulous person, interested in whatever hobbies and things that they've put up there. But you know, what we see online is not always represent. Is not right. A, a it could be a fulfilled representation right. of a person. Right. So that that certainly is something. At least that I see. I mean, you know, I'm one person with whatever experience I have with people, yeah. but for me, for me, I think the one of the real positive that you're talking about is when you look at the future, the way that, that in the forties, I mean, fifties and sixties that they looked to the future and it was all flying cars and it was all these magical cities and all white people, right? If right. you look at that art, predominantly just white people doing very well for themselves. Right. And the, that's obviously very problematic because at the same time in the '60s you had a lot of adjustments from a, uh, some from a social level, a lot of awareness that needed to happen. And I think what's happening now, which I think is amazing, is those visions of the future mm-hmm. are now coming from all cultures, mm-hmm. all all walks of life, all parts of the globe. And I think one of the issues that we're that we're dealing with now is we are now have our own beliefs, our own thoughts, our own our own systems of how we get through this world. Mm-hmm. And now because of the internet and through technology, we're now forced to have to deal with one another. Mm-hmm. And we're going, wait, that's not the way I was raised. And that's yeah. not the way I do things. And that's not the way I use Snapchat, right? And now we're forced to do that. Mm-hmm. And through this process, we're going to achieve that long-term goal together, right? right? So it's like the great vision of the 50s and 60s, but with the huge problematic errors fixed. And I find that very encouraging. And I, I completely right. agree with you on that. That, you know, the fact that with this podcast, we will look at our analytics, and I promise you we'll have people from all over the globe right. listening to us talk in New York City about our stuff, which to me is incredibly exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I agree. And we're recording it, like, in Wall Street. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like that global access... Mm-hmm. It gives me confidence just to think about that, right? Yeah. Um, it it almost it in, in the age where we're able to travel at such a affordable price, sure. Versus before people not being able to go like anywhere mm-hmm. without like carving out time on their job that they couldn't afford mm-hmm. or whatever. But I think that it's super important before you travel to do your research, like on like the customs of places, sure. understand and, the culture, right? Yeah. Exactly, it's and very I think with with 
the availability of, I'm like having a brain fart, sorry. Um, with the availability of chat, not what is it called? Forums, forums, mm-hmm. right? With the availability of forums, you can actually pros your trip to people and they can give you this feedback. They're like, oh, for oh, sure. Oh, it's 2019. You're going to this thing. Make sure you wear like a skirt that's longer than your knees or like, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. I think that you don't have to fly blind anymore. And that's where the confidence comes for, from having this overarching availability of of research. That I wonder if it's confidence or just comfort. Maybe it's comfort. And I'm not, no, I'm not trying to be, you know. No, no, no. That's a good point. Yeah. I think that I think that no, stands I, I true for what you were saying earlier. Really that's good a good point. That's yeah. that's yeah. a good point. I think the word confidence is kind of coming from like my UX side, where I'm like users making confident decisions. But if you bring it down to like the psychological aspect, mm-hmm. it it is comfort. Yeah. I, it's comforting to know that I could go somewhere and not feel like. I'm going to be alienated because I did something wrong. Yeah. You know? Well, and then you're more confident in your decisions because you know you can bring the, the appropriate dress code for that right. culture, you know, things like that. But Unless, the- of course, you text using Instagram yeah. and get out. <laughs> then get out of my life. This has been amazing, by the way. Yeah, I'm I excited. Think, this is a good I think we're kind of getting close to the end. I mean, we could go on forever. I, I, we could... We have so many questions that we didn't even get to, yeah. but but I think we should, we should start wrapping it up. So we have a couple tough questions for you. Oh, boy. Where do you see us from a therapy standpoint in the future, in mm-hmm. in 20, 25, 50 years? Where could this possibly go? And let's let's say that we figured out the problems. Right. What would what would the perfect world look like from a therapist standpoint? Well, that's two questions, because you're asking me what is it gonna look like and what should it look like? Hmm. Right? Okay. Or no, is that Well no, I think your perception of what it should what it what it could look like, the perfect scenario of what it could Wait, be. What do you think we need to, to do as a society? Like where do we need to be? Yeah. yeah. I mean in, in terms of clinical work therapy, mm-hmm. um, getting people back in touch or in touch, right, with why they think feel and behave the way that they do, why their brain works a particular way, um, how they're interacting with other people. Again, getting back to basics, really focusing on the social, emotional relationships, interpersonal relationships, we need to uh, increase that. We need to help people figure out tools and techniques and strategies, problem-solving skills to work with um, their frustrations, their anxieties, their anger, crisis, you know, all sorts of trauma. We need to destigmatize mental health in general. The conversation is certainly there. You know, I see a lot of times like, we need to start the conversation. We don't need to start the conversation. We need to continue the conversation. We need right. to be, you know, really have people have access to. And and it comes down to money. A lot of things, pretty much everything comes down to money, right? right? So the insurance companies are a big problem and, and what they reimburse and how much they reimburse for or how many sessions you can have and what type of session you're allowed to have, what code. So there's a whole big piece of the you know, within the psych community, all the medical communities, um, what stands in the way of dot, 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 people getting the help that they need, the type of help that they need, when they get the help, how much help they are able to, you know, have, things like that. Revisions is produced in association with Dom and Tom. Production design by Grayson Scott. Gosh, that's swell.